Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Good morning. On this month's Masters of the Universe, myself and co-host Karen Altamirano are pleased to be joined by Andy Calate to tackle what may be one of the more math-focused subjects in our asset class. This edition marks a slight departure from our previous slate of guests who have brought us perspectives on the market from the sell side, buy side, and market vendors, as we focus on the construction and execution of municipal scales and harvesting tax losses. For those not familiar with Andy, he's a leading authority on quantitative analysis of municipal bonds, including risk management, debt management, and tax management. He's also a prolific contributor to both academic and practitioner literature, most recently publishing The Interest Rate Risk Management of Municipal Bonds in 2021 and receiving a patent for his tax-neutral OAS method of valuing muni bonds. Andy, thanks so much for joining us this month. Thanks very much uh, for the invitation, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, look, I mean, obviously, this subject matter that um, you know we thought would be worth exploring this month is, is kind of very nuanced, uh, but I think very germane to our asset classes. So much of the volume this year has really been driven um, from this tax loss harvesting um, you know, approach, especially on the back half of this year. But let's sort of back up and go more high level. You know, rates have been the large story this year. What's your sort of thoughts top level on the muni market in 2023? Well, as, as, you, as you say, uh, rates have been moving around quite a bit. Most recently, they have come down. But if you take a longer-term perspective, go back to 19 or 20, relative to those rates, today, you're much higher. And then if you really want to step back, uh, I go back to my early days at Solomon Brothers in 1981. That time, long-term treasuries were in excess of 15%. And uh, if you're a long-term investor, you can expect interest rates to change. And the question is, how can you take advantage of these changing rates in terms of uh, increasing your performance on, um, on an after-tax basis? Yeah. Um, so given the, the backdrop in rates that we've seen so far this year, you know, we've seen a lot of investors, you know, trying to take advantage of, of tax loss harvesting. What opportunities have you seen for the average investor so far this year? There have been very good possibilities in terms of tax loss harvesting, specifically for the bonds with uh, 5% coupons, which were sold at substantial premium to par in the last few years. On the other hand, bonds which were purchased are on par, the typical retail bonds, were really not suitable for tax loss harvesting, even though they declined in price and it was possible to take a loss for tax purposes. And uh, I suggest that I elaborate on this later on. Yeah, I think that would be a good point to sort of, you know, bring the conversation down to the level that, you know, let's say a non-muni person would appreciate. So if you would, just sort of educate our guests as to what exactly is tax loss harvesting? Tax loss harvesting is a very simple idea for a security which was purchased at a discount at, at, a, at any price, which is now 
selling at a price below its tax basis, and I would have to elaborate what the tax basis is, if you sell that security at a loss, the loss can be written off for tax purposes. There are some nuances, for example, preferably there should be offsetting gains and uh, also uh, the tax savings depend on whether it's a short-term rate, a short-term loss, less than one year, or long-term loss, security was purchased more than the regular. But the basic idea is very simple and it's been used extensively for stocks. There are lots of articles about the stock loss, about the tax loss harvesting of stocks. Mutis are more complicated. So, I mean, we hear the term, you know, resetting basis um, when it comes to portfolio management a lot, especially this year. I mean, is that sort of one and the same with tax loss harvesting if I'm trying to reset my book yield? Tax loss harvesting per se has nothing to do with yields. And in fact, yield is a source of confusion when it comes to tax loss harvesting. Uh, tax loss harvesting is a very, very simple idea. You're holding an asset, in this case, a municipal bond, which has a certain value if you hold it. On the other hand, you can sell the security, you get the sale price, plus you get some savings from the loss, tax savings. And you look at the sum of the tax savings and the proceeds from the sale and tax loss harvesting makes sense if the after-tax proceeds exceed the value that you have if you don't sell. And that's all you need to do. Uh, unfortunately, tax loss harvesting is often presented as a much more complex transaction. It is essentially a very, very simple idea. So it sounds like it's a you know relatively simple idea, but are there some common mistakes that are made by financial advisors related to, to tax loss harvesting? Most common, a very common mistake, which is basically a misunderstanding of the tax code, is to write off the loss, the decline of value from buying a bond at a premium, writing it off when the bond matured. That's not really tax loss harvesting, but it should be understood that if you buy a bond at 120 and you hold it to maturity, the 20-point premium cannot be written off for tax purposes at maturity mm -hmm. because it has to be amortized down to par over the life of the bond. That's not tax loss harvesting, but it is very important to understand the tax treatment of municipal bonds. The yes. The common mistake, however, which is made, and it is extremely important, uh, I can't overemphasize it, is to sell a bond at a loss. For example, the bond was purchased at par, and now it is sold at a discount. The loss results in a tax savings. However, the after-tax proceeds, the after-tax proceeds from sale, turn out to be less than the value of holding the security. And how could that happen? And this is the most common mistake. It's because people focus on the tax savings rather than on the value of the portfolio. The problem is that the price of a discount municipal bond is depressed by the so-called 
de minimis effect. Let's take a second there, right? Because that's a term not a lot of people are familiar with outside of our space, right? So I just want to sort of try and make it as simple as possible. What is de minimis? And why is it important? Why do muni investors care? So this has to do with the tax treatment of municipal bonds. Municipal bond is purchased at a large enough discount, and I will explain in a moment what large enough means. The gain on the purchase at the time of maturity is taxed as ordinary income, which is roughly 40%. So if you buy a bond at 90 and hold it until it matures, you get a, when you get back 100, there's a 10 point gain. And if the tax is 40%, there are four points taxes to be paid. So at maturity, you don't get back 100, you get back only 96. Yeah. That's a that's treatment. Now, everybody who's in the muni market is taxable. If you don't pay tax, you should not be buying tax exempt munis. So recognizing this tax is critical and the market knows it. And there are academic studies that basically confirm that the potential tax at maturity is reflected in the current market price. In other words, the current- well, let, me, let me ask a quick question. Well, so I see a lot of people talking about all these fantastic yields that they're getting on discount bond purchases. So for instance, right, they're buying a 3% coupon structure um, and the yield they're getting is close to 4%, right? Um, but I guess what you're saying though, is that that yield they're gonna end up with when that matures is not really 4%, right? Because you have to account for the taxes that are owed at the time of maturity. That's exactly the issue. That tax at maturity, the present value of that tax depresses the current market price. So the yield, you, you, as you said, pre-tax is high, but once you incorporate the tax, you may find that the tax is very close to the current reasonable market levels. Munis, so those discount bonds don't look so, I guess, sexy, for lack of a better word, once you sort of peel back the onion. That's that's absolutely correct. The yield is high, but that's a pre-tax yield. After tax, the yield is probably very reasonable. In fact, there's extensive academic evidence, if you like, that the prices of munis are actually quite fair. The prices of these discount munis, the, the after-tax yield is in line with current market levels. If I may just elaborate about what's wrong with um, tax loss harvesting, these munis which are selling at a discount, if you are the current holder and you bought this bond at par, now it's um, trading at a discount because rates have gone up and the price is depressed by the de minimis effect. But if you bought this bond at par, you don't have to pay tax when the bond matures. And this is the critical consideration. So your value, something that I call the old value from the perspective of a specific investor, the hold value may far exceed the market price. So even if you look at the market price and then add the savings from the, the, the tax savings from the loss, the sum of those two may still be lower than the value if you never sold the bond. 
And this is a very routine mistake, and it's all driven by saving tax. But the goal of this exercise is not to save tax. The goal of the exercise is to increase the market, the, the, the value, the after-tax value of the portfolio. So let's try to simplify this a little bit for our listeners. How could um, Are you able to explain to us how to calculate the benefit of the tax loss harvesting transaction and then how to calculate the hold value? You said hold value a few times. How do you, how do you calculate yeah. the hold value from the perspective of a specific, specific investor? So first of all, how to, bene- how, to, how to calculate the benefit? And again, this is a very, very simple calculation and it's worth writing down, if you like. The benefit is simply mm-hmm. the difference between what you receive, which is simply which is the um, proceeds from sale plus tax savings. That's what you receive, the after-tax proceeds, less the value of what you gave up, the hold value. The proceeds mm-hmm. is very simple to calculate. The hold value is tricky, can be tricky, because the hold value can be very different from the market value. Um, If I could give you an example, I actually worked up a case where I looked at a uh, value of an eight-year bond with a 3% coupon so that it would yield 4% after tax, a 40% tax rate. Keep in mind, if you buy a discount bond, the tax is the tax is based on a 40% rate at maturity. So if you look at this very simple situation, and you can do this on the back of an envelope, you find that if you disregard taxes, the price of this bond would be 93.21. But after you realize that that 93.21 results in a gain which would depress the price and you do the calculations, and I can show you how to do the calculations if you like, you find that the on an after-tax basis, the bond is worth only 90.45 rather than 93.21. And if you think about this, so if you want, if you suppose this bond is trading at 90, 90.45 because of the minimum, but you bought this bond at par, so you don't have to pay tax if you hold the bond to maturity. Then if you discount your bond at 4%, your value of this bond is 93.21 because you're not affected by tax. That was the price of a 4%, a 3% bond yielding 4% is off tax. If you sell it at 90.45, you do save tax on because you have a 9.55 point loss. You follow what I'm saying, but after you do the calculations, you find that even with the tax savings resulting from the um, 9.55 point loss, you don't get enough to make up for the hold value, which is Mm -hmm. 93.21. It's a very simple calculation, but to do it, you have to recognize Mm -hmm. that the 
market value is depressed, severely depressed by the de minimis effect. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is your intuition on, are these calculations actually being done for the majority of folks buying bonds, right? Because you have varying levels of sophistication. You have anywhere from individual bond buyers uh, who happen to be clients of, you know, financial advisors. You have folks that are in SMAs. You have folks that are part of, um, you know, larger fund complexes and buying bonds that way. I mean, it just seems like I'm having a hard time on, uh, believing that this calculation, this test you know, for the mathematical prove out to see if the, the tax loss harvesting is worth it is actually being done. What's your thought on that? Well, you, you asked about the buying of the bonds. The pricing of the bonds is fine. The market price is fair. The market knows how to price these bonds more or less. The problem is not with pricing the bonds. The problem is the tax loss harvesting calculation because the um, financial advisors do not understand this notion of a hold value. That's the basic problem. So they enter into transactions where they end up saving tax for the client, but lose value. And this is the problem. And I think what Eric was, was getting at is how often do you think, you know, investment managers or financial advisors are taking the time to do these calculations, you know, the tax, you know, really doing the math behind, you know, what is best for um, our clients in terms of tax yeah. loss harvesting versus the hold value method that you described. Correct. My impression is that most, most financial managers, most financial advisors, the people who advise retail customers don't understand this. The certification mm -hmm. programs do not require understanding of these concepts. And this to me is truly unfortunate. The institutional investors do understand this. And just so that you put things in the right perspective, institutional investors tend not to buy power bonds. So they don't get into this de minimis problem. What happens is they buy the 5% bonds, which are standard for institutions. They buy them at a price of 120, 125, and then if rates do increase and the price drops from 120 to 110, they take a loss for tax purposes, but they are not hurt by the de minimis effect, which hurts only if the price drops below par. But we had rates had risen so high, I guess, early fall that even 4% structures, they were sort of falling below this de minimis threshold, right? So you had that coupled with most of the volume that we saw um, trading-wise was being driven by tax loss harvesting. So I guess my, my true question is, and I'm not singling out any, any SMA platform, but like, for example, let's say like parametric, they want to you know, harvest some of their tax losses on some of their 4% structures. How do they go about doing that across a thousand accounts, all of which have different sort of a tax situations? and do it in a method that's going to treat everyone fairly. You know, you're raising a very good practical question because as you point out, the uh, institutions such as Parametric, they buy 5 million bonds and then distribute it across many, many accounts. And different yes. accounts may have different tax considerations. That's it. So what you need is computers, basically. You cannot do this by hand. You can do a single account by hand, but you cannot do 
hundreds of accounts. But it is not difficult to determine under some simplifying assumptions, such as uh, the tax rate is such, let's assume the marginal tax rate is 40% and the capital gains is 20% and so on. You can easily see what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So I just want to go back to a point you made about institutional, um, you know, buyers, you know, drifting towards like 5% coupons. So we got to a point where, you know, it was almost a couple of days where fives were almost close to par on some areas of the curve. So in, in my simple mind, I'm asking myself, how come none of the new issues were pricing with an even higher coupon to accommodate the demand from the institutional side? that would naturally want more of a cushion. We didn't really see that. We didn't see five and a halves. We didn't see sixes. You know, obviously that market has sort of faded a bit, but still I'm curious your take on it. Again, you're raising a very good practical question. Historically, the 5% coupon was way above current market levels. So 5% bonds were selling at a substantial premium to par. And then the question you raise is, well, what happens if rates move up close to 5%? So the 5% bonds are selling at par, and then they would be subject to the same de minimis risk that we have described for the 3% and the 4% bonds. Um, yeah. 5% has become the standard. As you know, the municipal yield curve is uh, based on the yield to cost of 5% bonds in year 10. And the question is, why not go to 6%? Um, I'd like to make a comment about selling bonds at a premium, which is, I believe, is a very good idea for tax purposes to avoid the minimus risk. Caveat, however, that I would like to point out, and it's a topic that I have mentioned in the past, is the 10-year call. Why make them callable at par in year 10? Because if you sell at a substantial premium to par, the bond is virtually certain to be called. And that's the case with the 5% bond. That has been the story with the 5% bonds. You are going to be very hard pressed to try to find a 5% bond, which has been out for more than 10 years. They are all being called. At least the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act delayed some of that um, refunding, you know, obviously. Um, so at least you have a little bit of duration locked in. But no, I appreciate your point. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, the bonds that you think are, or you would say are suitable for tax loss harvesting and which what types of bonds should be avoided? Bonds purchased at a premium, good candidates for tax loss harvesting. And when I say a premium, at a substantial premium to par. The 5% bonds typically have been sold at... Uh, in excess of 110, sometimes 120, sometimes 130 even, as, as you know. And those are very good candidates in the event rates decline, you take a loss, uh, I'm sorry, rates increase, the price declines, take a loss, reinvest, and so on. What are not suitable, however, are the intermediate term bonds sold near par. Because if rates go higher, the price declines, and once the price declines, it gets hit by this de minimis effect, and then it starts this whole chain of problems that I described, that the uh, market price is going to be lower, perhaps substantially lower, than the whole value from the perspective of the customer. So even with the tax savings, 
the after-tax proceeds will be less than the whole value. So if you want to, if you're interested in tax loss harvesting, avoid purchasing bonds near par. So, I mean, aside from tax loss harvesting, are there any other, I don't know, tax beneficial transactions that, you know, investors should be aware of or, you know, that would be more suitable? Higher in the prices decline, tax loss harvesting is the natural transaction. There's another transaction which is much less understood, but it is probably worth mentioning, which is the case when rates decline, decline more than expected, perhaps. The price increases. Now, this transaction is for munis purchase at a deep discount. I refer to it as tax rate arbitrage. And let me just take a moment and explain to you what tax rate arbitrage is about. So if you if you buy a muni sure. at a deep discount, I'm not talking about an original issue discount, I'm talking about a market discount. The bond was issued at par and now it's trading at the dollar price of 70. If you buy this bond in the market at 70 and hold it to maturity, then as we have discussed, you have to pay tax on the 30-point gain as ordinary income. So that's at 40%. But the bond value is actually accreted there is something called the accrued market discount and if the as the bond ages if the actual market price exceeds this accrued market discount and you sell it then the gain up to the accrued market discount is taxed as uh, ordinary income but the gain above the accrued market discount is taxed as capital gains at a much lower rate. So the question comes up, do I want to pay on this gain today at a tax rate, which is 20%, which is the capital gains rate, or do I want to wait until the bond matures and then pay at 40% yeah. as ordinary income? And in many times, it is advantageous to pay, to, to sell the bond right now and take advantage of this lower tax rate. So that's what I call the uh, tax rate arbitrage. And just to clarify, right? So I, I buy a bond at a $70 price, rates drop 100 basis points, right? So in, in short order, my bond is worth 92. I'm a regular financial advisor. I see this big gain in a client's portfolio. And, you know, I call them and I'm like, hey, we should capture this gain, right? Rates really moved in our favor. Who then is responsible for, you know, is, is the advisor responsible for reporting that 22-point gain to the to the IRS? Does the IRS automatically become aware of that sale? Like, how does that process work? Because that's where I get a little fuzzy. Like, I understand, in theory, a tax is owed, but who, who, who's I'm, I'm responsible for the reporting I'm the right that? person to answer it. I mean, this is more of an accounting issue raising your point, but the financial advisor must be aware of the fact some of that gain is taxed as ordinary income, while the excess is taxed as capital gains. And yeah. that's what's driving the transaction. No, no, I understand that. I just didn't know if it was a situation no, where it was to. like, well, if I don't report it, no, they're not going to, you know, it. there won't be a tax bill due. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a game which makes sense. 
Okay. It, it, it's that's again, which is advisable. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a tricky Correct. transaction because in in essence you end up paying tax earlier at a lower rate rather than later at a higher rate. And these are delicate calculations. But and I think the reason we're, we're asking this is just because there seems to be a lot of confusion as to the sort of the reporting chain of command when it comes to these taxes, whether you're reporting the loss, whether you're reporting the gain, um, who's making the decision, whether it's going to be booked at you know capital gains or ordinary income. The, it seems like there's not a, a primer on this subject that is you know could really educate um, all levels of sophistication who are buying bonds. Um, so if you want an idea for your next book, that that should probably go into that category. My impression is that most financial advisors are not equipped to handle it. Uh, if I may just add one more idea to it. Yeah. So first of all, you have to know how to calculate the, the effect of the sale, which, if I may just repeat, is simply comparing the after-tax proceeds to the whole value. But even there, you have to calculate the whole value. Yeah. Now note that this calculation does not entail anything about return or yield or anything. It's a simple value calculation. But then there is another dimension, which is reinvestment. And you already asked about, Karen asked about reinvesting. So when you reinvest, you get additional optionality because the new bond that you have purchased may also be subject to tax uh, loss harvesting. And if you would like to be a little bit more if you want to look at the bigger picture, tax loss harvesting is an option. It's an issuer-specific option, not issuer, investor-specific in this case. Each investor has an opportunity depending on where they, are bought, where they bought the bond and uh, how much they paid for it when they bought it. So it's an option. And when they exercise this option, when they actually sell the bond, then typically they reinvest. So they buy a new bond on the proceeds. And when they buy a new bond, they buy automatically, they acquire a new option to shelter taxes. So tax loss harvesting this reinvestment is actually a swap of options. And a financial advisor should understand the value of these tax options embedded in the client's portfolio. Now, this is a mouthful. It sounds very complicated, but a sophisticated advisor should understand that tax loss harvesting is all about options, tax options. Sophisticated advisor, I think, is a key term right there. So I want to, I want to shift real quick uh, from the tax loss harvesting and talk about analytics. Can you, broadly speaking, what, what analytics are available to calculate the fair value well, of muni? In the absence of taxes, the standard analytics, what we call the option justice spread analytics, would work, work fine. And so if you're talking about bonds selling at a substantial premium, you're in good shape. However, the moment you get close to par, not to mention below par, you need analytics that have a tax parameter. And 
the fact of the matter is that standard analytics that I'm aware of do not know how to treat municipal tax exempt municipal bonds correctly. Um, what I hear when I ask uh, people who sell analytics and you ask them about, oh, can you do after tax analysis? They say, sure. You give me a bond at a certain price and you bond at discount and tell me your tax rate and I will tell you the after tax yield. But that's a yield to maturity calculation. That's not analytics. But sure. what about duration and what about spreads? Can you do, how do you determine the uh, duration of a discount beauty? So just to give you one idea, just to set the stage, if you take a 10-year muni at a discount and you calculate its duration, we start taking into effect the taxes that the uh, gain is taxable. The duration turns out to be, the uh, 10-year muni has a duration of roughly eight and a half, nine years. But once you realize gain is taxed and you calculate the duration based on that, you find that it's closer to 12 and a half years, 13 years. And you get a similar problem as Eric in indicated earlier. He said, oh, look at these munis, look at the high yields, because those yields are on a pre-tax basis to a benchmark. Yeah. Once you make the adjustment, the yields are much less. So you need analytics that capture capture the tax effect correctly, both in calculation of the interest of, of duration convexity and also which calculate the correct uh, spreads. Have you come across any off-the-shelf systems that do these sort of analytical calculations correctly? I, I'm unaware of anything. I would love to find out. I truly don't know a single system that does these calculations correctly. People can, of course, figure out how to calculate the um, uh, fair value of a of an optionless beauty bond. That's not that difficult. You can, but presumably you need a system which works for callable bonds, for amortized yeah. ones, for every bond. You need to reproduce everything that the standard option adjusted spread systems do for corporate and for taxable bonds. So basically, you need an OES system which has a tax dimension, a tax parameter. Um, what one of the inputs of, for an OES based calculation? you said is an optionless par yield curve. And then the standard muni benchmark curve is based on the yield to call of, of 5% um, non-callable 10-year bonds. Yes, I mean, that's exactly the issue. If you're familiar and you are familiar with the standard uh, calculation of calculator for taxable bonds, you put in a bond, you put in its options, coupon, <coughs> put in an optionless yield curve and a volatility, and then you get values out of it. And you'd like to do exactly the same thing for municipal bonds. Now, the problem with munis is that the municipal yield curve, the standard municipal yield curve, is for is based on the yields, yield to call in year 10 of 5% bonds, where the call price is 100. 
so just to be very brief, yield to call of a 5% 30-year bond in year 10 really has very little to do with the 30-year interest rates. It's based primarily on the 10-year interest rates. And if you yeah. ask uh, muni experts, hey, what's the 15-year or the 20-year optionless muni rate? You'll be hard-pressed to get a sensible answer. People don't know. Mm-hmm. So the question is, but you do need it to do the value, to do the calculations correctly. You need optionless rates. And the question is, how can we get optionless rates? Well, one way is to survey people, but it's going to be hard because there are no bonds. You cannot find long-term optionless bonds. So the answer is, but my recommendation is to start with the callable, the standard callable yield curve, 5% non-call bond, 10 bonds callable in year 10 at par, and basically extract the call option. And there's a formal way of doing that. So first you calculate the first 10 years are optionless. Then given that you can calculate at a volatility what the 11 year optionless rate would be. And then given the 11 year optionless rates, you calculate the 12 year rate and so on and so forth. There's a formal process. Mm-hmm. The tricky part here is the volatility. What do you use to extract the volatility? How is the optionality, the call option value than a municipal bond? And uh, let me just comment. Typically, the higher the rates, the lower the implied volatility. Back when rates were around 2% in the Munich world, the volatility was maybe about 40%. Now, maybe 25% is a better number. But again, the industry should pay more attention to estimating the optionless longer-term municipal rates. Well, I know this is an area where you spent, you know, some of your academic, you know, brain power in sort of delving into. And I guess, what's your take on why no one, um, from an analytic standpoint or a pricing standpoint, from any of the service providers, has focused on an optionless yield curve? Again, a great question. I have been complaining about this for for a long time. We need to know it. And I'm hard pressed to explain, to, to answer you. I was involved at Solomon Brothers with the development of the option adjusted spread technology. In fact, the person who came up with the term option adjusted spread, Mike Waltman, he said uh, next door to me. So, and that was in mid-1980s and I honestly don't understand why the municipal world is still going on this uh, yield to burst technology and uh, and so on. I think it, I, I don't know. Because you always have. Because it has always been like that. No, that's the answer. That's what I hear. I, I have spoken to yield curve providers and for example, if I may just get back to the uh, long-term munis where when when the yield of the long-term munis, which is the yield to call in year 10, is compared to the 30-year treasury rate. That ratio, people look at it, and I point out to people, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense because one is basically a 10-year rate, the muni rate, and the treasury is a 30-year rate. And nobody disagrees. I 
And I say, well, why do you do it this way? And the answer is what you said, Eric, because that's what we have always done it. There's no alternatives. Um, what if we did have an optionless curve? Let's say someone introduced it. It was available tomorrow. What, would, what do you think would change? People could do much more accurate analysis. So, for example, Eric mentioned earlier, what about 6% bonds? What about 7% bonds? What about 3.5% bonds? How do you calculate the value? Currently, as long as we have 5% bonds, and most of the bonds are 5%, people say, oh, we have lots of 5% bonds, so let's just compare them to each other. The moment you move away from the 5%, people are stuck. They don't know how to do calculations because they don't have the analytics. Once you, If you had mm -hmm. optionless curves and a reasonable volatility, you just uh, go ahead and do it. I actually published a short paper about this in the bond buyer some years ago about what if rates are not, what, if, what happens when the coupon is not 5%. But you do need analytics, and analytics are not that expensive, and they make you look smarter. So just in conclusion, um, because I know this has been sort of a, a heavier technical lift, what are some changes you would like to see personally, let's say 2024 and beyond for the municipal market? On the, in terms of structures, I would like to see long-term municipal bonds, which are either not callable, or if you want to make them callable, make them callable at a high premium if they have a high coupon. Don't make them callable at par. If you want to have a, if, if you if you have a high coupon, make them callable at uh, 110 or 115, and then have the call prices decline over time, which is not that unusual. I mean, that structure was pretty standard for taxable bonds increase start with a premium call and then have, have the call prices decline those bonds would be actually just as suitable for taxless harvesting as even more suitable than the bonds we have today in terms of tax loss harvesting i think what we need is more sophisticated uh, financial advisors uh, people who understand the value of the tax loss harvesting option, who realize that some bonds are more suitable for tax loss harvesting than others, so they invest accordingly. People who do not exercise tax loss harvesting, but after it's, it, it occurs to clients, and so on. It's just education. Financial advisors and municipal advisors are certified by various organizations, as you know, and in my opinion, the certification requirements should be much stricter when it comes to analytics. Oh, one last question um, before we wrap this up, yeah. since you've had a lot of advice uh, for us today, but it is quite heavy in terms of calculations, and it's something I think we all need to spend a little more time on. Do you have any recommended readings for anybody that wants to dig into this a little bit more? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there are lots of articles about the tax loss harvesting of equity. To the, to, as far as I know, I am the only person who has written academic articles on the tax loss harvesting of municipal bonds, which from a technical perspective are 
much more complicated than, than stocks. Uh, I published earlier this year a, I call it a primer on the tax loss harvesting of municipal bonds in the Journal of Wealth Management. And I would recommend anybody who's interested in that is to not, not just read the article, but also it has many, many ref, references to the tax loss harvesting of munis. So that's a good yeah. start. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated the conversation and you know, certainly much to think about uh, if we get another rising rate environment uh, in 2024. So thanks again. 